You're listening to the Volleyball by Design podcast. Today, we're going to talk about strategies when coaching a smaller team. So if you're a coach that has coached a smaller team or in the event that you end up coaching a smaller team, how, how can you uh, create a system and, and create strategies for that matter to be able to effectively uh, beat bigger teams, beat any team? Um, that's what we're going to talk about on today's episode. So stay tuned. Hi, I'm Coach Brian Singh, and after a number of years coaching competitive volleyball and as the head coach of the biggest college in Canada, I've become obsessed with helping coaches improve their knowledge and skills of the game by teaching them how to coach efficiently and effectively to ultimately reach their volleyball goals. I created the Volleyball by Design podcast to give you simple, actionable, step-by-step strategies so you can get clarity and apply what you learn right away. This is the Volleyball by Design podcast. What's up, ladies and gentlemen? Welcome to episode 176 of the Volleyball by Design podcast. How is everyone doing out there today? Another week of volleyball in the books. Hope you guys are doing well. For my new listeners, welcome to the podcast. My name is Coach Brian Singh, and I'm the host of the podcast. And to my regular listeners, thank you so much again for tuning in, where the goal of every episode is to deliver valuable, tangible, step-by-step strategies that you can apply to your team right away. And today may not be a longer episode, but it's a really important conversation to have. Um, As many of you know, if you're listening to this, at the end of October of 2023, uh, I'm in the I'm in my workshop phase right now. So I, I've just I just finished doing all three of my workshops. Which, by the way, if there was anyone uh, listening to this podcast that came to came out to the workshop, really really appreciate it. All three sessions were amazing. Um, some amazing coaches, especially to my new coaches that came out. Honestly, you guys did the right thing because you're going to be a step ahead of the game. Um, in by coming to that training, I did I did an offensive training by the way, and you are, you're gonna be a step ahead of the game. You no, know, instead of trying to learn it on your own, uh, you know it's it's an opportunity for you to now have a plan in place, have some kind of knowledge and background of how to create offense, and yeah, it was uh, it was really cool. I had a lot of fun, and a lot of the the people that showed up were really engaged. They were the chat was going off, and I know a lot of coaches reached out and said that they've already started implementing the offensive strategies from the workshop. So that's that's really nice to hear, and uh, I appreciate everyone for coming out. And you probably would have heard in the preamble, well, if you're listening to this before November 1st, uh, Doris to DVA are currently open. They're going to be closing on Wednesday. Uh, DVA is my signature mentorship program for volleyball coaches, and basically I teach coaches how to create a successful volleyball program, and I have a uh, a system in DVA designed to help you no matter where you are on your coaching journey. It's kind of like a university model. There's a there's a volleyball curriculum from the ground up, whether you're a beginner coach or a college and professional coach, and it takes you through, uh, you know, all the things that will equip you to be a better coach, and you get my support along the way, in addition to a number of different things. So, digitalvolleyballacademy.com. If you're interested, go there. Uh, I guarantee you, it, it it won't be waste. It won't be a, a waste of your time. I promise. All right, so let's let's talk about today's episode. Actually, this episode stemmed from a question that I got asked during the workshop, and that was, you know, what do you do when you coach smaller teams? Because it, it's it's a tough. It's a good question because you know you may go against taller teams, and they already have an advantage because of their height over the net. They can play at a higher level because of their height over the net. It helps them. And that's why at the college and pro and, you know, national team level, you know, there's size matters because with size, if you have, you know, a six, 
a six-foot hitter who can pass, who can swing, do all these great things, and you have a six-seven hitter who can do the same things, well, who are you going to go with? You're going to go with the six-seven hitter. So it, it kind of, you know, at the higher level, everybody can do all those things, and then therefore height plays a significant factor. And it's unfortunate. It's unfortunate, but, you know, it's the world we live in. But there are things that you can do, and mo many of you that are – in this situation where you're coaching smaller teams, are coaching at the high school level, club level, and at this level, you can absolutely do damage and win with smaller teams providing you're training them in a way that will allow you to do so. So I'm going to give you guys some strategies on how to train your smaller teams, and, and when I say smaller, I mean by height. And also some things that you may want to spend more time focusing on because this is where it's this is where uh, your time should be spent. Okay, so I'll start off with the very basic. When you're coaching a smaller team, it is even more important that you are serving and passing well. I always say at the high school and club level, the best serving and passing teams win. And in some cases at the university and college level, it, it applies too. But there's a lot more than just that. I always say the best serving and passing team is when, whether you are 6'6 or 5'11, serving is a skill that anybody can do. And that is, an, that is something you have to build into your seasonal plan to spend even more time than you normally would have. Because you have to be a tough serving team if you're small. If you can take a team out of system by being a smaller team, then it's, then it's not going to, it's, it's going to put them in a situation where they're not going to get to run the route that they like to run. You know, like the biggest fear for coaches that are coaching a smaller team is what am I going to do on the block? They're bigger than me. So when the setter gets to set a good ball, they're going to score. And you're absolutely right. So one way to prevent that from happening is serve tough so you take them out of system, meaning they don't have all of their hitting options and they're going to get a high ball coming from the backcourt. Then your block has a much better chance because chances are they're going to be contacting the ball a lot lower than they would have been if they were in system. And many teams are contacting the ball at tape level. So as long as your small team can reach over the net or get above, put their hand above the tape, they can throw up a great block. So that is something that you should really, really spend some time doing. And then obviously passing. I know it's cliche, you know, the best serving and passing teams, but you obviously have to dial into your passing. You know, a few years ago, I, in fact, I would argue my team is still probably one of the smallest, like in terms of height teams in the league, I think. I could be wrong, but... You know, our pins, like, what's my pin? 6'2", like 6'2", left side, 6'3", left side. Like, that's that's okay height, but that's not big by any means. It's not a 6'6", left side or a 6'7", left side. So uh, I, I guess I shouldn't say we're small. We're more like average or just under average. Okay, so that's strategy number one, which I know everyone listening to this knows, but hopefully you can put more emphasis on the serve now that you kind of just have a second, you know, second coach telling you that. All right, the second thing that your team is going to have to learn how to do is this idea called soft blocking. So if you have a team that can't really get over the top of the tape and seal, then you're going to have to learn to soft block. And what that means is instead of sealing the tape, you're going to jump up and you're going to put your hand, your wrist back. So like instead of your hand going over and sealing, your wrist is going to go back and it's going to be the same block you normally would do, but your wrist will be back. And, and what that does is if the hitter contacts your hand, the ball is going to fly up and hopefully onto your side of the court so you can run an offense out of that. That's called soft blocking. It's very, it's the most effective thing you can do when you can't seal. Now, I have some coaches ask me, well, then maybe I shouldn't block. 
You don't want to do that because here's the thing. If you don't block, you're almost guaranteeing them a point or you're hoping that they commit an error. What blocking does, whether it's a good block or a block that's not that great, is the attacker is going to see a presence there. And a presence is more is more important than having no presence. Because when there's a presence there, when there's a double block going up, jumping with the attacker, that attacker is going to have to assess that block, realize there's a block there, as opposed to just a one on nothing where there's no block. And that may be enough to make the attacker change their decision, alter their decision. Maybe not, but at least it provides you, know, you with an opportunity that could happen. And in many cases, it does especially if they mistime their jump. Like if they mistime their jump and there's no block, they can still recover and score and get a good swing. But if they mistime their jump or their uh, or their uh, approach is off and you have a block up there, they may decide to tip or funnel it into your defense and that's an opportunity for you to score. So really, really important that you do have a blocking presence. Even if it's a, a soft blocking presence, it's still something, okay? Another thing that I, I know, and I know this, the whole undersize, you know, like setters, this is the, one of the things that coaches always ask too. I have a small setter. All right. What do I do? Do I go with my bigger setter or do I go with my smaller setter? Well, my question is this, who is the better setter? Don't worry about size. Who is the better setter? And if they say the smaller setter is the better setter, then that's the setter you're going with. You are not going with a taller setter only because they're going to provide a better block. Because if they don't set a good enough ball or as good of a ball as your other setter, then your offense efficiency just dropped significantly. At the end of the day, you know, blocking a ball is, is there's not a lot of blocks that occur during a match. That's why a lot of, a lot of coaches barely, like a lot of coaches I respect barely spend time on blocking because if you look at the stats, there aren't many blocks that occur in a match. I think Taylor Averill, U.S. Men's National Team Middle said that if he gets one block a match or two blocks a match, that's like the best blocker in the world. So that, that tells you, like you may get a lot of block touches and slowdowns, but getting a block is another conversation. So don't, don't be fearful that they're going to, like, yes, they are, are they going to score off a smaller block? Of course they will. But is it going to be enough for, that, for them to win the game? I don't know. If everything else you're doing is in check, it might not be. Right, if you're serving tough and they're out of system, you know that might change. Like little things like that, you got to be aware of. So, just you know, blocking is still a thing that you have to do, um, especially when it's a front court attack. You have to. Okay. Okay. Let's talk about middles. Middles become a little more important here uh, when you have a smaller team. The first thing is your middles have to be fast to the ball. There's no running a ball where you set the ball and then the middle jumps to get the ball up there because then that's an easy block for a, a bigger middle blocker. You have to be fast on the ball. The goal is to be hitting the ball right on its way up or when it's at its peak. Like, like I'm talking about a middle quick, like a 51 quick inside. Middle goes in. When that ball is on its way up, as soon as it hits a point where you can attack it, that's when you want to attack it. So if you're fast to the ball, Okay, you're in the air fast to the ball. You can be a solid middle and get and score points. You can generate points that way, but you have to be fast to the ball. And sometimes big middles have a hard time with that. Uh, not to say they always do, but that's something that uh, every middle coach or every middle uh, pro middle I spoke to said, you, you need to be fast to the ball. You have to be. So that's one, okay, fast to the ball. 
Two, you have to have your middles move to have that middle blocker move as well. Because if if they're if they're running a neutral defense, like meaning the middle blocker is staying neutral and not moving with the middle attacker, and they're waiting for the set before they move, then you have a little bit of an advantage if you're an undersized middle. Because if you run a, a thirty, so like if you run um, a ball in between area three and four, like that route, and the middle stays neutral, you have a one on nothing potentially. And as an undersized middle, that's a great option for you to do in swing because it's kind of like, you know, it's, it's just a, it's a pushed ball. The ball's being pushed over. So you force the middle to make a decision. And even if they do, you're able to hopefully generate some offense out of that. Okay. So you keep the middles moving as much as possible with your middle attack, and that will help you generate points and score, especially when you're a smaller team. Okay. That was my third point. Fourth point. You have to really buy into this concept, and that is the offense always has the advantage, okay? We have to train our attackers to be able to score in multiple different ways, and we have to train our attackers, and and it's the same thing that we, it's the same thing we train any attacker, to be quite honest, but you have to train your attackers to embrace a big block and not be afraid of it. They have to see a big block and know what to do with it. Because a lot of times with younger teams, you see they, they have a big double block and they are afraid to swing. They're, they don't really know what to do with the big block. So we have to train it. So in practice, you can just have two blockers already established in, let's say, like outside, for example, if they're going to block the outside attacker. You can have two blockers established with their hands up, and we work on training our attackers to not be afraid. Swing high hands. I know you hear me say that all the time. Train your attackers to swing high hands so that they get comfortable with that shot because undersized left sides, like the best team I can think of is Argentina. Argentina is one of the most undersized uh, national teams, on the men's side at least, national teams uh, in the world. But they are so good at swinging off hands, at not being afraid to, to create offense and going up against, like you'll have these 6-3 left sides going up with these 6-10 right sides, right? Clear, clear a big differential there, but they're scoring at a high clip because they understand how to score. They understand how to make their shots. And these are and things like you, you need to work on are, you know, can they hit a sharp cross? Can they hit a sharp, can they hit a line shot? Can they hit a cross shot? Can they tip? Can they swipe off the block? Do they know how to push off the blocker's hands and swipe out? Can they roll into the pot? You know, can they recycle? Do they have the ability to recycle with confidence? You know, all of these, all of these little things, these are really, really important. That And if your, your outsides get used to this and get comfortable with this, they're, they're going to be a really, really solid attacking team. And it frustrates blockers. Like you hear, I hear pro players talk all the time. There's nothing that frustrates them more than having a player just continue to hit it off their hands. Continue to hit it off their hands, hit it off their hands, hit it off their hands because they can't do anything about it. Because I, remember, a block is a stationary position when they're in the air. A block is not moving. A block is a standstill area they're just taking away and they're trying to press to make sure the ball goes on the other side of the court. You now, as an attacker, you have a lot of different things you can do with that stationary block. You can hit off of it. You can hit around it. You can hit through it if there's a seam. You can swipe off of it. You have the final say in what happens with that block. So understanding that and training it. Training it is really, really important. And not being afraid of it, man. I'll, I'll tell you, we've, we've played at our level against some teams with, man, undersized left sides, like below six feet. 
like 5'11 left sides who have done damage to 6'6 and 6'7 right sides because of their ability to score. They have a hard swing, they're not afraid of the block, and they go through it. And um, one of the really, I think I mentioned this on previous episodes, but a really good tip is uh, the, the outside hand, going after the outside hand. So if there is any space between the outside hand and the antenna, Going after that hand is great because that's you can generate a lot of points because it'll be off their hands, out, off their hands, into the antenna, off their hands. Uh, it's just great. Off their hands, down. Like That's what you want to do. So understanding that is, um, is really, really, really important. Okay? Four, strategy number four. What is that? One, two, three, four, five. Strategy number five. Okay? Vertical jump. Make sure you have a vertical jump program that your athletes are on, okay? For DVA members, DVA members have access to my vertical jump program inside DVA. Um, if you're not a DVA member, um, I encourage you to become one so you can get it for free. Uh, but there, there is a, it is on, the, um, on my website for $97, and so it's there for you to purchase, and you can have your team go through my vertical jump program. This is a program that I've seen thousands and thousands of athletes go through it and have increased their vertical jump. So if you're interested in that, it's there for you, but make sure you implement a vertical jump program to give yourself at least that work, that strength to be able to, you know, play the game above the tape and that, that should help. All right. Um, well, the last thing that I want to mention is your defense. So when you go against, uh, when you go against bigger teams, okay, they're going to have mismatches, right? That's, it's inevitable. They're going to have mismatches. So what you should do is you should focus on the mismatches for the other team that is going to generate most of their points. So, for example, let's say you have a really big mismatch when your setter's front row. You have a small team, right? So I'm assuming the setter's front row, their, left, their best left side, their P1 is going to be matched up with your setter in theory. And they're probably going to generate the most points out of that left side. So if you can figure out which mismatch is going to generate the most points, and, and if you've ever played the other team before, you probably have an idea of who that is. I would set up a defense in order to make their life very difficult. So you can run a trap block. You can put three blockers over there, or you can just have two blockers over there already and let your defense play the middle attack one-on-one. You could have, if you have, if we have, if they have a front court setter, you could have the, you could leave the front court setter, have the left side attacker, or, or sorry, have the left side blocker take the middle and then the your blocker, your middle blocker, and your uh, right side can take the left side by themselves. Like you could play around with some strategies to to prevent that go-to player to generate points. You could serve to that player as well. Serve them tough. Take them out of the offensive um, system because if you serve them tough and they're on the ground after they pass, then they're not going to be a great offensive option. So you're gonna make you're gonna force them to put it into someone else's hands that you have a better shot at playing defense. So really. Design a strategy around who their best mismatches are. And that way you can at least slow it down, maybe prevent it. And then what happens is that when you, like for example, let's say their best player is their go-to and he's always, he's the guy or she's the girl. Well, if you get a stuff block on them once, like it's such a great momentum shift and it starts to quite well they start they could start questioning oh i just got stuff blocked maybe i might try something else and when they start deviating from their go-to option whoa that's perfect that's what we want we want them to deviate from their go-to option so be strategic about it and this is where serving and passing comes in does your team have the ability to serve a zone serve a player 
because you might want to do that, and then you can trust your defense to get the ball back. Uh, so that's something that you should also work on is, tr- is serving certain zones and serving them tough, not just serving to get it in, not just serving your best serve to get it over, but serving zones tough. You do that, you got it. You got a good shot. I think you got a good shot. So make sure we're training that as well. Okay. So though I just I want to keep it simple. I mean I mean there's a, probably a couple more things you could do, but like, this is a really good plan to start. I mean obviously other things like scouting reports come in, understanding their tendencies, but that's like generic stuff that no matter what, whether you're big or small, you still you got to do that anyways. Like understanding their tendencies and understanding their 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 um, their serving tendencies and their hitting tendencies, like where they like to go. That's obviously gonna like whether you're big or small, it's gonna help you. So that's another thing that you can throw in there. But it, it kind of goes to what I was saying my last strategy, which was game planning. Like game plan for the mismatches, game planning for how they're gonna beat you, so that you can at least give yourself a shot to prevent it, take them out of their flow, and and and, and get a shot to you know do something special. Okay, so let me just really quickly go over. I, I know I said this was a, a shorter episode, but it's it's one that's like it's you're in and out. It's short. It's quick. Take your notes and then start implementing it in your gym right away. And some of these strategies, to be honest, like with the exception of soft blocking, everything else is game for a bigger team. <laughs> like if you have a bigger team, you can do this stuff too. Uh, but a smaller team, it's the soft block that's probably the only change. Okay, so let me just recap really quickly. We have the serving pass really well. Yeah, I mean. It doesn't matter how tall you are. You got to be able to serve and pass. Height does not matter there. So really, really serve and pass tough. Soft blocking, like I mentioned, wrist back at the net. So when they hit off your hands, it goes up into your court, and hopefully you can play the ball out of that. Um, middles moving. Keep the middle blocker moving or keep the, or at least force them to make decisions. You know, Have your middle run that 30 route, that, in, that area between area three and four. Have them run that route a lot so they can, you know, they can exploit that those those uh, those gaps in the block and make and force um, the middle to make a decision. Because if the middle comes over and 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 fronts your middle attacker, then you have a one on one on the right side. Because right? if the middle comes over, he's away from the setter, and then the right side has a one on one, and then you should be able to score. It doesn't matter how tall the blocker is. If if we move on to point number three, where I talked about understanding that offense has the advantage, you one on one, whether you're a six ten or 5'11 versus 6'10, you have the advantage. As long as the set's there, you have the advantage to score. So be mindful of that. Man, I remember we played a, a, a Puerto Rican team when I was in club, and they were super undersized. But they ran a fast offense, which, I, you know what? I didn't even mention that. I'm sorry. I probably should add that in here. Tempo offense. There you go. When you are a smaller team, you should be running a faster offense. It will help. Now, if you run a high ball offense, it's not the end of the world, but running a tempo offense, like a faster offense to get those one-on-ones will definitely help with a smaller team. And this small team that we played against, they were very athletic, so their vertical jump was very good, and they run a fast offense, and they were so efficient with that fast offense. And they beat, and our team was much bigger than them, and they, they, they beat us really badly. So, you know, it goes to show that if you have a system in place, and you understand how to maximize your small team's ability, you're going to put yourself in a good position. So offensively, use their hands. Understand that you have the advantage when you're on offense. Train your attackers to have multiple different shots. We're talking uh, sharp cross, regular cross, line, off the hands, roll into the pot, super tip, swiping off the block, recycling. You know These are things that your offensive players should be able to do 
and if they ha- and and more importantly, not should be able to, but have the confidence to do it. Like that's the big thing. When small teams play against these big teams, the confidence I find is probably the bigger issue than anything. Because if they believe they can score, their mindset's going to be completely different. And if they're like, oh no, I'm going up against this tall guy or tall girl, I you know okay, like you know if they have that kind of like nervous mindset, they're they're going to struggle because they're not going to be confident and you need to be confident when you're playing on offense because if you're not confident on offense you're going to start committing a ton of unforced errors and I've, I've seen it over and over again even at my level when an attacker does not have confidence they start making ridiculous errors and then it doesn't serve anyone any per any good so yeah have them really really uh focus on developing a strong offense uh increasing your vertical jump that goes without saying uh and then adjusting your defense Adjusting not not adjust not necessarily adjusting your defense, but adjusting your strategy. So figuring out the best mismatches that the other team has on you, and understanding, and then if that's how they're going to generate most of their points, coming up with a plan to slow that down. So an example I gave was if they have a left side that's going to go to work on you guys, serve that left side, make it tough for them, put them on the ground so that they get they have a hard time getting up and getting ready to swing. You know, like things like that will really give yourself a good shot to to beat against a, a taller team. Okay, that's it for uh, for me. Um, I hope you guys uh, understood uh, today's episode and the importance of it. And again, whether you're a small team or big team, this is something you can absolutely implement. And doors are open if you're listening before November 1st, uh, digitalvolleyballacademy.com. I mean, join that mentorship. You got It's unbelievable the amount of success our coaches are having in there. And, and I love connecting with coaches and growing this game and, and teaching coaches really just how to build a championship program, a successful volleyball program. It's funny, I, I, I was mentioning it on the on the workshop, but one of the biggest mindset shifts, and I probably should have started with this, but one of the biggest mindset shifts that I that I had as a coach was I understood that I wasn't coaching volleyball. I was running a program. And those are two different things. Coaching volleyball and running a program are two different things because you start asking yourself different questions. Like if you're just there to coach volleyball, you're just going to go coach and, and call it a day. Like that's coaching volleyball. But if you're running a program, there's so many different elements that go into running a program to make your team successful. Is coaching volleyball part of that? Absolutely. But you're going to start noticing when you shift that mindset to I'm running a program, the quality of your questions are going to start getting better and you're going to start realizing, oh, I should be doing this. Oh, I should be doing that. And if you need help figuring that out, you know who to call. Just talk to me and I'll help you with that. Okay. So yeah, so just that there's a little extra piece of advice there, shifting your mindset to You're not coaching volleyball, you're running a program. All right, that's it for me. Thank you so much for tuning in to another episode of the Volleyball by Design podcast. I'll see you guys next week. Take care. All right, cue the music. Look, are you at the stage you want to be in your volleyball journey? How would it feel to get clarity on your training? And instead of taking months to get better, you could improve in weeks, if not days. When I was a young coach and player, I felt this way all the time. The truth is, after I got some great advice on how to be efficient, my learning curve grew exponentially. Let me show you how to be more efficient and effective in this game. I invite you to check out CoachBTraining.com for more resources that you can use to take your game to the next level. I look forward to helping you reach your volleyball goals.